Hey, this is Keenan Clark. Thank you so much for taking some time to listen to this episode of my podcast. I am really praying that your time listening helps you to realize just how loved and enjoyed you are by God. If you'd like, you can stay connected with me by following me on all major social media platforms. Now, get ready, because I have to say this episode is so good. I love you. And we've been in a series um, as young adults and ultimately across the life of our entire church that we're simply calling Retweet. Retweet. Anybody on Twitter? Anybody like Twitter? Hopefully you're not on Twitter right now. That's why you didn't raise your hand. You're like, no, I'm not on Twitter right now. Okay. But many of you have, have Twitter. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, Twitter's not my favorite. Twitter's not. Um, but on Twitter, you are familiar. I'm preaching to the choir. Okay, some of you guys could probably do a better job explaining this than I could. Um, if you like what somebody says, you literally retweet it. And what you are doing when you retweet something is you are saying, what this person just said stands for me. I am in agreement with this. I like this. Maybe it made you laugh. But you're saying, whatever this person says goes for me. And what ultimately God is asking for you and I to do is not to create a new narrative. Do you realize that? When it comes to your life, when it comes to fighting your battles, when it comes to trash-talking the enemy and maybe even sometimes yourself, the Lord's not asking you to create some narrative and know exactly what to say. No, he's simply asking you to know what he has already said and let that be enough for you. We've got to learn to allow the voice of God, the word of God, not to just be some coaster that collects dust on our shelf, but actually be, as we're going to look here in a moment, a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. That it illuminates our, our life. If you've been walking around in the dark for a moment, I would encourage you, turn on the light of the word. Turn on the light of the word. Let God's word for real. Not just let it be this little kumbaya thing that you come around every Thursday, but let it actually be the light that lights up your path and it lights up your world and it illuminates the next thing. In fact, let's jump on in tonight. Psalm 119, 105. Psalm 119, 105. If you brought a Bible, you get extra points in heaven. And if you didn't, I get extra points because I brought you a Bible. I'm just joking. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. I'm just now trying to give you some time to turn or turn your head. Okay? So here we go. Psalm 19, 105. It says this. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. This is the scripture. This is the paradigm that we are launching in every single week from now. What I want you to notice is this. David, who actually wrote this, what he did not say is your word is a lamp to someone's path and your word is a light unto someone's feet. No, he says it is, it's my light. It's a light unto my feet. It's a lamp unto my path. It lights up my world. And I'm here to tell you tonight, God's word can't do anything for you until you take it as your own. God, you wonder why God's word isn't lighting up your life. It's because you haven't invited it into your life. It takes more than just eating what I am regurgitating to you that I have studied. No, it takes you actually daring to open your cobweb-filled Bible up, dust it off, and begin to say, God! Speak to me. God, I need, I need this to not just be for Pastor Keenan. I need this to not just be for my grandma. I need this to not just be some religious box that I check off on Facebook. No, I actually need a light. I need the light for my feet. I need a lamp for my path. I need what you've got. Now, what I want you to notice real quick is it, it, it doesn't say it illuminates everything. Notice, notice what it does. It illuminates your feet. What does that mean? It illuminates the next place to step. Yeah. 
Notice it doesn't say it turns, off the, it turns on the whole lights in your world. All of a sudden, everything's clear. And all of a sudden, you know your life plan. A, B, C, 1, 2, 3, element of Z. Okay, all of a sudden, you have it all figured out. No, it says God's word. It illuminates what's next. Yeah. It illuminates what's next. And that's why this thing with the Lord, it requires faith. And I'm here to tell you right now. It takes less faith. Listen to me. It takes less faith for God to illuminate your next step than it would be for you to follow him if he turned on all the lights to the plan of your life. If God turned on all the lights to the plan he has for your life, there is no way you would be able to muster up enough faith to, 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 to actually begin the journey. Why? Because God's not called you to some safe, cushy little life. God's not called you even to a life, listen to me, that makes sense. So if God illuminated your entire life plan, you'd probably poop your pants. I'm serious. I think I, I got a laugh. Okay. You, you would probably, you'd probably have a bowel movement. Okay, that is probably what would take place. You would be petrified. You would be terrified. And God is doing you a favor in keeping you somewhat in the dark. He's doing you a favor. He's saying, you know what? I know how fickle you are. I know how quick to turn around you are. I know how pretty to scared and fear you are. I'm just going to illuminate the next thing. Just step here. Just step here. And God, the person who would love more than any of us to just get us down the line, to just expedite this thing, goes at, listen to me, he goes at your pace. How good is our God? He goes at your pace. Whatever your pace is, you get to pick. If you're going to be a person that gets to make leaps and bounds in faith, then God will do that. But if you're a person who just makes an inch at a time, maybe a crawl at a time, God will say, you know what? I'm good with that too. I'm good with that too. God goes at your pace. I love that. You cannot wear him out. You cannot find the ends of his patience. Why? Because he's willing. He is meek. He is mild. He is patient to go at your pace. Your word, God, your word, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Here's the problem. So many of us right now, the lamp for our feet is not God's word. It's your mom and dad's word. It's, it's, let's be honest, it's your hater's word. You're allowing them to illuminate your path. You're allowing them to say what you can and can't accomplish. You're allowing your last name. We'll let that sink in for a second. You are allowing your geographical location. You are allowing your pedigree. You're allowing your IQ. You are allowing your diploma. You're allowing your GPA. You are allowing your connections. To be the lamp into your feet and the light in your path. And God says, no, 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 no. There's something so much better. It's, it's actually what I want to say. I speak a better word over you. A better word. What does that mean? Find somebody who speaks the best word about you. I speak a better one. I speak a better one. My words, they don't just fall on deaf ears. They actually open, they actually open closed doors. They actually roll over closed stones. And have men... Come out who once seemed to be over, once seemed to be, their life seemed to be snuffed out. All of a sudden, I breathe and life happens. I'm telling you, it has to be God's word. God's word has to be the lamp and your feet and the light. In fact, I did not mean to belabor this point so long, but I really felt the spirit leading me here. This is for somebody. It's God's word. God's word. Is active, breathing, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating into the body, soul, and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intents of the heart, as Hebrews tells us. It, it's, it's God's word that's the lamp into your feet and the light into your path. You know, I love, we're talking about this series and we're talking about 
letting God's word stand for us. And I, I love words. If you spend any time around me, uh, you are going to find out real quickly, I love words. I'm a communicator. Okay, this is kind of literally what I do for a living. Sometimes my wife says it's not fair. And she's like, you talk for a living. This is not cool when it comes to communicating or having uh, robust conversations, i.e. maybe arguments. Okay, not that we've ever had one, but the potential thought, okay, that we could one day ever have an argument. Okay, and she's like, it's not fair. You're an advantage. Okay, but I love, I love words. I love words, okay? I'm a talker, and if you can't tell. And so, um, I, literally, I will look up words, okay? And uh, I try to challenge myself all the time. I learned two words just uh, since yesterday. Two words, I thought I'd share them with you. The first word is antediluvian. Antediluvian, okay? It's actually a biblical word, and what it means is basically, I was able to kind of pick it apart. I was listening to a sermon, and the guy used the word antediluvian, and I was like, I, I know enough of the English language to kind of pick words apart and try to find their origin. And I figured diluvian meant deluge. And if you're not familiar, deluge means flood. So I figured he was referring to the flood. And what this antediluvian literally means is before the flood, the flood of Noah. Okay, so antediluvian literally means this happened before the flood. It's a, it's, it's a $10 word, okay, but it makes you sound super smart and super spiritual. So I learned it, antediluvian. Uh, another word, it's not as spiritual, I learned is the word, um, I heard it a lot, but I realized that didn't really know the exact definition for it, okay? And it's the word efficacy. Efficacy, okay? The word efficacy. And I've heard a lot of people say the, the efficacy of this, the efficacy of that. And what effic the efficacy of something is its ability to produce an intended result, okay? The, the ability to produce an intended result. Like, so the, this microphone's efficacy is its ability to actually be a microphone and allow my voice to come through the speakers. The efficacy of this microphone is spot on, okay? How is its efficacy? It basically means, does it do its job? Does it do its job? Okay, so I love, I love words. Two words I learned this week and two words you now, two words you now learn uh, this week as well. But I also, I love listening to people say words, okay? I really love listening to Mauricio say words. I'm not going to lie. Um, he pronounces things. I'm like, I did not realize that was the correct pronunciation, okay? And notorious, I will just say that. Mauricio knows exactly what I mean. Um, but that's an inside joke. But I love listening to people say words. What I'm really trying to say is this is a roundabout way of saying I really love accents, okay? I love accents, okay? Accents are so interesting. And uh, the, the, the cool thing about accents is, you know, many of us were, if you're not from here, many of us are from the South, okay? And I've traveled all over the world, and many people, when they find out I'm from Texas, they are shocked. Okay, they're like, what part of Texas? I'm like, West Texas. They're like, you're from West Texas? I'm like, yeah. They're like, I can't tell. You do not have an accent. I'm like, wait till I get a little tired, okay? My slang starts coming out, my draw, okay? It just comes out like molasses, just dripping out your mouth, okay? All right, so, you office people. Okay, so, so I love accents. But the cool thing about accents is I was beginning, I was beginning to think about this concept of, of talking, of saying what God says. And the cool thing about accents is that nobody is born with an accent. Do you realize that? Nobody is born with a particular accent. It's not like I could have taken Mason Clayton, wherever he's at, okay, in this room. He's got a thick Texas accent. I could not have just taken Mason Clayton as an infant Put him in the outback of Australia and expect that he would still have the accent that he does today. Why? Because accents are not, they are not something we are born with. They are something we develop because of what we grew up hearing. Yeah. 
where we grew up hearing. And the cool thing about accents is you can tell where somebody's from by their accent before their accent tells you where it's from. Before somebody can tell you where they're from, you can find out where they're from just by listening to how they phonetically talk. How crazy is that? Accents are crazy. It comes from what you listen to in those early formative stages of your, of your life. An accent will tell you what you've been listening to. I remember a few years ago, um, I was uh, talking to one of my friends, and uh, he's, uh, he's from Colorado, okay, and he's an awesome guy, literally amazing guy, and uh, I'll, I'll actually out him because I love him. His name's Landon, okay, Landon Hairgrove, okay, and uh, many of you were at the YA nights that he came and preached. He's awesome dude, okay, and uh, so he, he's one of my dear friends, okay, and I remember a few years ago, um, we were all kind of trying to sharpen each other as preachers, okay, not that, we're, not that we've gotten complacent, but we were just really intentional about trying to get better. So what we would do is we would record our sermons before we would preach them. We'd go into an empty room and record ourselves preaching, and then we'd send it to each other and say, hey, man, pick me apart. Critique me. Tell me how I did on my transitions, on my illustrations, on my application statements, on my points of truth, on, on my excavation of scripture. Tell me how I did, okay? Tell me how my hermeneutics are. There's a new word for you as well, okay? So we, we, would, we would send each other our message. I remember one time Landon, oh, my God, I love him. He sent me a message. He was like, Keenan, I want you to pick me apart. I want you to pick this message apart. I'm going to preach it at our, at our retreat, and I'm going to preach it. And I was like, all right, I'll listen to it. So I sit there. Now, mind you, he's from Colorado, okay? I've had so many conversations with this guy. I know his voice. So I plug my little headphones in, and I'm sitting there. I close my eyes. I get two minutes into his message. I pause the recording, put my phone down. I call his mug, all right? I call his boy, and I said, Landon, I'm listening to your message right now. He's like, okay, cool. What are you thinking? I'm like, um, I only have one thought. And that thought is, when did you go to Australia? Seriously, bro. When did you go to Australia? He's like, I didn't go to Australia. I was like, you sound like you were from Australia, bro. You are preaching this whole message. You are thanking everybody. You're giving honor. You did the offering with an Australian accent. And he was like, I did? And I was like, yes, this whole recording is you talking in an Australian accent. He's like, bro. And that's when he told me, he said, bro, I've been listening to nothing but Christine Kane lately. Now, if you don't know who Christine Kane is, and why, you don't understand why everybody's laughing, Christine Kane is an Australian woman who preaches all over the world. She's super popular, okay? And he had been listening to this Australian woman. Luckily, it wasn't in a high-pitched voice, like he was trying to completely imitate it, okay? But he had been listening to so much Christine Kane preach that it just started coming out when he went to go preach. But all of a sudden, he went to go do his thing he all of a sudden imitated what he had been listening to, and I was able to tell something in Australia has gotten on the inside of you. Something from, from all the way from Australia is affecting the way you live your life. And I wonder tonight if you and I, if, if, if people were to look at our lives or maybe even listen to our lives, I wonder if you and I have begun to pick up the accent of Jesus. I wonder if you and I have begun to pick up the accent of love. The accent of joy, the accent of peace, the accent of patience. I wonder if you and I have begun to spend so much time around Jesus that we begin to effortlessly, we don't even realize it's happening. We begin to talk and we begin to look, we begin to make syllables, we begin to make choices, we begin to make conversations that look and sound like our Savior. Have we begun to pick up Jesus' accent? I wonder if people can tell 
Here's what I really wonder, and this is what I really want to get to, because I, I would love it if people could tell that you've been listening to Jesus, but I wonder if the enemy can tell you've been listening to Jesus. When you talk to him, when you begin to tell him where to go, when you begin to stand in the authority that Jesus died to give you, I wonder if he can tell you that you pulled those words straight from Jesus. You even sound like Jesus. I'm telling you, as we begin to get around this thing, it should naturally begin to look more and more and even sound and be a picture, be an imitation of who our Savior is. I want to turn over here real quickly to, uh, to the book of Matthew. We're going to look at two scriptures real quick. Matthew chapter 26, we're going to start reading at verse 73. I want to paint the picture for you real quick. What just happened is Jesus has been in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? He's been in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been there. It's pretty dope, okay? So he's in there. He's, he, he's, he's praying. He's, he, he's crying. He begins to sweat uh, drops of blood. And all of a sudden, the Roman soldiers come, and they invade the Garden, and they, they arrest him. But moments before that moment took place, Jesus and Peter had a conversation. And Jesus begins to be a little bit of a fortune teller and what the Bible calls actually a prophet, okay? Jesus begins to prophetic to tell Peter, he says, hey, here in a moment, crap's going to hit the fan, and um, when it does, you're going to run. And Peter says, I, I ain't going nowhere, Jesus. You, you got the wrong man. You must be pointing at, you must be pointing at Peter Jr. over here. He's like, they know Peter Jr. He's like, it must be a Peter Jr. Okay. He says, Peter, not only are you going to run, but you are going to deny me three whole times. Peter says, excuse me? He says, yes, not once, not twice. You're gonna, you're, you are going to deny me. Three times. All of a sudden, Jesus, in fact, what he says comes true. The Roman soldiers, they invade the garden, they arrest Jesus. And Peter, what does he do? He literally does what Jesus told him he would do. He runs for his life. Peter runs for his life, and all of a sudden, the prophecy begins to come true. All of a sudden, one person approaches Peter, and he's like, hey, you know Jesus. And Peter's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And all of a sudden, another person approaches Peter, and he's like, hey, you know Jesus. And Peter's like, I do not know that guy. I've never heard of him. I'm just on the side saying to him. Okay? And finally... Where we pick up right here, the third and final person approaches Peter. I want to look at this interaction. So shortly after that, some bystanders approached Peter. They said this, you've got to be one of them, meaning the disciples. Your accent gives you away. Your accent gives you away. Now notice, Peter is trying to pretend he is not a disciple, but he's been so much time being a disciple, he can't even shake his identity. He can't even hide it when he's trying to hide it. He can't hide his accent. The culture and the, the, the talk, the phonetic sounds that Jesus would make day in, day out had so permeated him that even permeated him that even in his lowest moment, he's still talking like Jesus. Even in his absolute darkest time, he's still talking like Jesus. So they say, they call him out. They say, your accent gives you away. And then notice what Peter does right after that. He says, then he got nervous and swore. He swore. What does that mean? He cussed. He says, oh, you think I talk like Jesus, huh? I'm about to show you. I talk nothing like him. And literally, the Bible won't show you this, but the, literal, the, the original text will tell you that Peter said something like this. I don't know that blankety blanket man. He literally looks at him. That is, the, that, is the, that is the essence of what Peter was trying to get across. He says, I don't know that F word man. I don't. Peter said, you think I talk like Jesus? I'm about to prove it. I do not talk like Jesus. And then as we see here, it says this. It says, I don't know the man. Then a rooster crowed. And all of a sudden, Peter remembered what Jesus said. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and cried and cried and cried. He has literally just denied the Savior of the world. And what gave him away was the very thing he had been trying to hone for three years. 
He had done such a good job of staying so close to Jesus that he couldn't even hide it when he wanted to most. He'd been around Jesus. But I love that Peter's story doesn't stop there because actually we find out later here in Acts chapter 4 that Peter and John, who they are and what they say kind of gives them away again. Let's look over here at Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Here in God's word translation, it says this after they whose day they are the Pharisees. They are religious gang members. They are uh, people who go around pooping on all the Christians parties. OK, they are not fun people. They are not nice people. They are the most judgmental people you've ever met in your life. It kind of sounds like the church today. OK, after they found out that Peter and John, you and I want to be like Peter and John. We look way more like the they. OK. We look way more like today. After they found out that Peter and John had no education. Listen to me. For those of you who feel like you can do nothing for God, this is totally for you. Okay. Peter and John had no education or special training. They were surprised to see how boldly they spoke. They then realized these men had been with Jesus. It, was what they, it wasn't their pedigree. It wasn't their ripping out their diploma. It wasn't their $10 words. It wasn't their antediluvian they, 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 they flaunted in front of them. You know, I obviously know the scriptures. No, it was the simple fact that they still carried the accent of the Savior. It was the simple fact that they could still smell Jesus on their breath. They could still smell Jesus on every, on every action, on every word. They could still sit. Even people who had never spent any time around Jesus. The people who crucified Jesus. Could tell these guys spent time around Jesus. I can tell just by the way you speak that you're with Jesus. Can the world around you? Can the world around you tell that you've been with Jesus? So many of us. So many of us. I'm here to tell you. We 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 love being Christian. We love all that, and I'm all for it. Okay, but we're not called to be Christian. We're called to be imitators of Christ. There's a difference. Modern Christianity is not the standard. It's not. We're called to something so much greater. We're called to sonship. We're called to family. We're called to be imitators of Christ. We're not called to simply bear a name. We're not called to simply jump into some religious gang. We're not simply called to just come in here on Sunday money and occupy a chair and throw a 20 in the offering plate. No, we're actually called to go into the highways and byways, into our workplace and a cubicle and into the, into the, the dysfunction of our family and actually look and sound like Jesus. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to be somebody. Where do you go on Sunday morning? If, if all people know about you, that if you're a Christian, is where you go on Sunday morning, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. People should be able to look. People should be able to sniff out that you're a Christian way before they find out your schedule. People should be able to sense Jesus on you. And they may not even give it. They may not even know that it's Jesus. They may not even be able to tell that it's Jesus. But you, you're actually kind of like nice. And you, you actually don't seem like, like I'm, an in, I'm, a, I'm a means to an end. You know, that's what we treat so many people like. They're just simply a means to an end. You know why we evangelize? Because it's really about making us feel better. It's not because we care about people's eternity. It's not because we actually want somebody to experience real love for the first time, time in their existence. It's because whether they reject us or, or they accept Jesus, we're going to have a cool story. And I'm going to feel like a super Christian. I'm going to slap a little another merit badge on my little sash. I'm going to go about my way as an armored Christian soldier. No, 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 no. When did we stop caring about what Jesus cares about? When did our hearts stop breaking at what breaks his? I'm here to tell you, if it breaks God's heart, it'll never satisfy yours. We've actually got to start leaning in to who the person of Jesus is. Who he is. Not just what he did, 
He did what he did because he is who he is. If you don't understand who he is, you'll never understand what he did. You'll never. That's why the cross makes no sense to you. That's why the gospel isn't good news to you because you don't know the one who is the good news. The good news is that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the earth were even laid. Why was he slain then? Because he loved you then. Because he wanted you then. Why doesn't God just yell and scream and, and, and act like a wild banshee? It's because he enjoys nearness. One of the prophets says this, I looked, for, I looked for the voice of God in the earthquake and I couldn't find it. Then I looked for the voice of God in a roaring avalanche and I couldn't find it. Then I looked for the roaring, the, the, the voice of God in the rolling thunder and I couldn't find it. Then I looked for it in the waves and I couldn't find it. And then there came a still, small whisper. Why does God whisper? Because he's close. He's close. God's so close to you. And God's saying, hey, would you, would you forsake would you forsake your spirit of religion? Would you put down your, your to-do list? Would you put down all those things and would you just come and be with me? Come be with me. Peter picked up something just by following Jesus that he couldn't even shake. What might you pick up along your way of following Jesus that you won't be able to shake? All of your, all of your, all of your striving and checking boxes has gotten you nowhere. What if we actually started getting to know? Getting to know. That's what this is about. That's what it's about. It's about us having the accent of our Savior. I'm going to lighten things up real quick just for a second. But for you guys, I want to see a show of hands. Guys, how many of you right now, be honest. Okay, I want you to really be honest. For most of you single guys. Okay, for you, for, you, for you dating guys and you married guys, I'm talking about your girl, the girl you currently got. For you single guys, okay, um, um, how many of you would love to take a girl to the movies right now? Like a super fine girl. would love to take her to the movies. Come on. How many of you would love to take a super fun girl to the movies? If you, if you have a girlfriend, raise your hand. You want to take your girl to the movies? Come on. Okay, ladies, how many of you, if a guy were to approach you on a date, how many of you would want to, to for that first date to be a trip to the movies and then for him to take you home? <laughs> about the, that, was, that was honestly the, 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 the reaction I was hoping for. Okay, good. Why would you not want your first trip or your first date to be the movies? You can't talk. That is exactly why so many guys choose their first date with a girl to be at the movies. Why? Because we don't want to have to talk. We don't want to have to talk. That's why we're like, hey, let's go on a date. I'm just going to see you. I'm going to fill it out. What are you going to feel? I don't know. The heat of seat. Popcorn going down the back of my throat. The action, the adrenaline of the flick. I don't know. Okay. But so many of us, we want, to, we, want to take, we want to take somebody to the movies so we don't end up having a conversation. We're saying, I don't want to communicate with you. I just want to be entertained with you. And the problem is that is how so many of us treat God. So many of us were like, yo, God, I, I just kind of want to take you to the movies. Like, I want to be seen with you. I want to be, I want to like, I want to be entertained with you. I kind of want to be around you, but I don't really want to talk to you. I kind of want to like come in, say we had our nice little moment, see how I feel after that. If I'm feeling it, it went great, cool. But if not, like there's really no ties. You don't really know much about me. I didn't really risk anything. Maybe a $7 movie ticket, but then I can get out of there. And the problem is God wants communication. God wants us to actually have a moment where we, where we, where we quit the bull crap for a second and we actually talk about those things that are making you you. You know, the, the reason so many of us, our generation has a hard time with commitment. We do. Our generation, let's just talk relationships for a second. Our generation, we have a very hard time 
actually committing. And a lot of us, we are career driven. Okay, that's what our, we have the most career driven generation of all time. And it's because there are so many careers available to us via the internet, okay, and education and the, 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 the transportation we have. The whole world is at our fingertips. You can get hired for a job in Singapore tomorrow and that's totally fine. It's not weird, right? So we, we're career driven and the reason we don't, the reason we don't actually make deep connections inside of a relationship is because it is painful for us to open up the parts of us necessary to form the deep connection. It's, it, it's awkward. And the truth is, is this, if one person opens up and the other one doesn't, what does that do? Severs the relationship. It makes it awkward. Like, I went there, I was vulnerable with you, and you were supposed to reciprocate. I was the initiator of the vulnerability. You were supposed to reciprocate. So that means now that you didn't reciprocate, I am now still vulnerable. You now know something dangerous about me, and I know nothing dangerous about you. And then here's what we do. We hide the places we are the most vulnerable of until the person we are with has been with us so long, it would be more painful for them to end our relationship than for them to trudge through our mess. That's what we do. We wait until there's so much buy-in. We've been in so long together. It is now going to be more painful for you to walk away from me than for you to actually just embrace who I really am. And Jesus is not waiting for you to just simply get comfortable and for you to simply see if he's going to stick it out for the long haul. I'm telling you, the longer we keep things on the surface, the more we keep healing at bay. And I'm telling you, if we'll begin to let God in, if we'll begin to let him come into those places and his, his word actually take a seat in our lives, I'm telling you, your life will turn around. It'll turn around. We don't need to play at the surface. We don't need to play it safe. We can actually get vulnerable. Jesus got vulnerable with us, didn't he? You know, Jesus went to the cross, not even a hundred, well, on a human logic level, he was part God, part human. He was fully God, fully human. But his human logic level, not even a hundred percent sure there would be people who would say yes after he did what he did. Jesus made the sacrifice, still not having heard the word yes from you. He made the sacrifice just at the chance you would say yes. Fully made the sacrifice. You want to talk about vulnerability? God's gotten pretty dang vulnerable. You want to talk about vulnerabilities? God's sitting there waiting for you to reciprocate and say, hey, I've gotten pretty vulnerable. Come on in here. I'm not going to hurt you. This isn't going to sting. I'm not going to run out. I'm not going to leave you high and dry. Come on, let's do this. Let's talk. Let's get to know one another. Let my words be your words. Let my, who I am, let who I am be enough for you. And really quickly, I know I've, I've used a lot of my time but I, I, real quickly, I want to talk about Matthew chapter 4. We've been in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is the moment in which Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay? That is like saying that for dramatic effect. Okay? He's led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He wasn't led there by the devil, but he's led into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil. We looked last week. I want you to remember that if you are being tempted, that, is not, that does not mean that you are not being led by God. So many of us, we think that now all of a sudden I'm experiencing temptation. That means I stepped outside of the will of God somewhere. If that's the truth, Jesus had just stepped outside the will of God. But it says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and there he was tempted by the devil. He is simultaneously being tempted and in the perfect will of God. You can be perfectly smacked out of the will of God and still experience temptation. Why? Because temptation is not a sin. It's an invitation to sin. It's an invitation. It's saying, hey, this is available. It's on the platter. It's on the menu. Why don't you take it? It is not a sin to be tempted. And so many of us, we've walked around with far too much condemnation because we deal with temptation, even though we have kept it at bay. Man, that's something to be celebrated. That's not something to, to, to dog yourself for, man. Even Jesus was tempted. 
Even Jesus was tempted. So we see that Jesus led to the wilderness. I know I'm trying to speed through this, but we see this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. It says this. Again, the devil took him on a very high mountain. I want you to remember that for later. Very high mountain. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. Verse 9. The devil says this. All this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said this to him. Away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. Angels came and attended to him. Now what I'm trying to get you to see is that what the enemy wants you to do, this is the thing that we're looking at this week. The enemy wants you to do is to shortcut the plan of God for your life. Now the enemy knew, hey, this is Jesus Christ I'm talking to. What does that mean? He knew he wasn't just a normal man. He knew he wasn't just Joseph. He knew it wasn't just, you know, Matthias or whoever it is that you want to pull from the scriptures. He knows I'm talking to El Jefe. I'm talking to Jesus Christ, okay? And so he offers him something that is honestly in his future. He's saying, hey, I'll give you this if you'll bow down and worship me. Where would Jesus go? He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He was going to, his destiny was to rule and to reign. And the enemy knew that. And he says, hey, I'll give you a shortcut. Here's a shortcut. Why not have to go? Why would you want to go and die a brutal death when you can just get on your knees right here on this little mountaintop and worship me and I'll just give you everything? And the truth is this. So many of us wonder, um, why did the enemy have it to offer him? It's because Adam gave it to him. Adam in Genesis chapter 3 gave the enemy dominion over the earth. So it was Satan's to give. That's why we needed Jesus. We needed Jesus to come and defeat the enemy, take back the, the keys to death, hell, and the grave so that he could rule and reign in our lives forever. That's what we need. So all of a sudden, the enemy offers Jesus a shortcut to the very end, to his destiny, and Jesus doesn't take it. And the the thing I want to encourage you with tonight is when the enemy offers you a shortcut, what do shortcuts look like? It looks like you are getting further along by being less than who God called you to be. You're getting further in your company by doing something malicious. You're doing, getting further in your relationships or in your, your social sphere by being less than who God called you to be. The enemy's shortcuts will always ask you to compromise what God's promised. The enemy's shortcuts will always ask you to compromise who you are. He never asks you to go a godly route. He never offers a route where you can, t- you can continue to do it and remain totally godly. To, com- to remain in the, in, in the complete and perfect will of God. I'm here to tell you tonight, uh, you need to think about this and how this fits your life. If there is an avenue, if there is a hole, if there is an opportunity to get ahead in your company or ahead in your academics or ahead in your relationship or ahead in life in general, and it will cost you your character, it's not of God. And I'm here to tell you, anything not of God will never take you where it promises you. It will never take you where it promises you. As I said last week, the last thing you want to do is climb the ladder of success only to get to the very top and realize that you leaned it up against the wrong wall. That's the last thing you want to do. The enemy always offers a bad hand. And what he does, he's offering Jesus. He's offering Jesus a way out. And Jesus doesn't take the shortcut. I want to look at this. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. This is so good. Exodus chapter... Are y'all still with me? Are y'all still with me? Are y'all cool? I know I'm going a little long, but I think this is good. Okay? Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. It says this. We're going back to the Old Testament. It says this. Then Pharaoh... This is a story about when Moses led the children of Israel out of the captivity of Egypt. Okay? Just so we're on the same page. Okay? Exodus 13, verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God, notice, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. 
Though it was shorter. Notice that language. Though it was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. What is what is just happening here? God's trying to get his people to the promised land. And there is a shorter route to the promised land. But God says, you know what? The shorter route will turn into the longer route because they can't handle it. God's saying the shorter route is actually going to be a dead end. There are so many of us that look at life and say, hey, this is the shorter route. I'm just going to take it. God, I, I think I know where I, I need to go. And God's saying, hey, that's actually a dead end because, um, yeah, it looks like it's straight. But guess what? Your, your, your morality is not straight. Your head isn't screwed on straight. You haven't quite gotten over that fear. You haven't quite stepped into enough faith for that road. Let me take you what seems like a longer road that actually is going to get you where I've called you. The longer way, let me hear you, let, let me tell this to you. Let, 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 let me hear this. The longer way is actually the shorter way. It's actually the shorter way. Why? Because God has considered you in the route he's picked for you. God considered you in the route he picked for you. Some of you are like, why can't I do what they're doing? Because you're not them. Some of you are like, I, I want to do what they're doing. You don't want to drink from their cup. You don't know what's in their cup. Some of you who can't handle Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane like we talked about a moment ago. And he says, God, let this cup pass from me. Each and every single one of us have a cup to drink. And some of you, you're envying other people's cup, but you don't know what's in it. Not each and every single one of us are called to handle the same thing. We're not graced for their race. God has considered you in the route he has picked for you. Which means if God's encouraging you somewhere, he knows you've got enough faith to see it through. If God is encouraging you down a particular path and a particular road and a particular calling, then that means that God is headlong sure you have enough faith to go the distance. He's, he's already eliminated all the paths that there's no way you'd be able to follow him down. He has already picked the path of least resistance that still requires a measure of faith for you. Yeah. I'm telling you, if you, will just, if you will just let the encouragement that God knows who, who he's working with, you remember that? God knows who he's working with. He knew what he was biting off when he picked you. He knew what he was getting himself into. I'm telling you, sometimes the longer route is actually the shorter route because that's the route you'll actually trust God on. That's the route you'll actually trust God on. I remember a few years ago, I was flying, um, I was flying to Africa. And uh, I, was, I, had a, I had a layover in uh, Dubai. And uh, Joy and McKenna were with me on that flight. And... Uh, I had a layover in Dubai, which Dubai is one of the coolest cities I've ever been to. It's literally so good. I remember I was on this flight, and I looked at the little, they, they have the little flight screen that shows you your route, right? And it's a little map, and I'm, I'm looking at it, I want to see the trajectory and stuff. And I looked at the map, and it showed there a flight plan. It showed us if you're here in Dallas, Texas, and it showed me Dubai. And it was like here and there. And I was like, okay, like, we just need to cross the Atlantic Ocean, right? Like that's it. And what it showed me was our route was taking us up over the entire United States, over Canada, over Iceland, up into Europe, and down into Dubai. That was our route. It literally looked like an arch on the street. And I'm sitting there, we need to go from here to here, and we're doing it like this. And I'm sitting there thinking, why are we going the longest way possible? Why are we flying here when we just need to fly there? Okay, and I remember I actually did not put too much thought into this. And I mouthed off to the person who was flying next to me. And they were like, Keenan, um, that's a 2D map. That is a flat 2D map. You realize the earth is a sphere and it's three dimensional. Okay, so what looks like this is actually like this. 
you gotta go around. And what looks like the long way around is actually when you see it from what it really looks like, the shortest route. And I wonder how many of us are trying to navigate our lives looking at our little 2D flat map of where God wants to take us and we're like, God, you're missing it. God, you're missing it. That looks like the long way. This is the stupidest way I can possibly go. And God says, no, I sit above the circle. The earth, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. If you actually had my periphery, if you actually had my vantage point, you would see this is the quickest route to where I want to lead you. I'm telling you, don't you dare shortcut the plan of God on your life by taking what seems like an easier route. So many times we shortcut the plan of God in our relationships because we're lonely. And that, believe me, believe me, I know what it feels like to feel lonely. Many of you may be in this room tonight, you're struggling with loneliness, or you struggled with it before, or maybe you're going to struggle with it again. And so many of us, we're like, God, I'm ready to step into a relationship. So what do we do? We end up, God is going to have us be single for two years, and we end up cutting it short, and we end up finding the next Joe Blow who will give us attention. We end up getting in a relationship with them, and maybe we even end up getting married, but it's actually not the relationship God called us to be in, so it ends up not being everything it promised to be. And guess what? Instead of spending two years allowing God to refine us and letting Him fill our loneliness, we end up spending 20 years inside a relationship and still alone. All because we tried to shortcut the plan of God in the moment, the two, the two years of singleness seemed like forever. And now we're looking at a whole lifetime of being committed to somebody we don't even know. Oh, because we had to shortcut the plan of God for our lives. And I'm here to tell you, if, that is, if that's where your life goes, God's grace follows you there. And he's still enough there. But I'm telling you, God, he wants you to follow him. He's saying, don't shortcut, don't shortchange yourself. My plan is too perfect. My plan is too, too exciting, too vibrant, too thrilling for you to try to shortcut it and take a lesser route. God's saying, trust me, if I'm calling you to two years of singleness, that means the person you're going to be on the other side of it is going to be the person that's ready for the relationship. You're going to be ready, or maybe I'm, I, I, while, while, you're getting, while you're making yourself and getting yourself ready being her, I'm getting him ready to be him. So that when the two of you come together, you can be the power couple you've always dreamed of. You can, be the per- you can be the person I've called you to be in a relationship. You don't have to be insecure. You don't have to be wondering what he's doing. You know, he's not going to be somebody who goes behind your back. He's not going to be somebody that has, that has secret threads. He's not going to be somebody that has, has an alternate number and, and, and is shifty and has all these, that has all these weird uh, tendencies and stuff like that. No, I'm telling you, we will just trust that the route God sets is the route he picks for, with us in mind. I'm telling you. You'll end up where you're called to be. We see if we fast forward. I know I'm going a little long, I'm so sorry. But we see that that, that that moment with Jesus and the devil, the devil, listen, he took him on top of a mountain and he shows him the splendor of the world. And he says, hey, if you'll take, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all this. On the mountain top. And then all of a sudden, Jesus does it. He doesn't make a deal. And just a couple months later, a couple, actually just a couple years later, all of a sudden we find that Jesus ends up on top of another hill. Where this time he's not transported there and no, he walks there while he's carrying his own cross. It's a hill called the Hill of the Skull, or as the Bible would put it, Golgotha. And in a moment where it wasn't just easy to drop down and leave it versus somebody else, no, Jesus actually does something crazy. He serves humanity via his own death. And Jesus allows, he allows, you understand that? Jesus' life was not taken from him, he gave it. At any moment, he 
could have called out a legion of angels to come and set him free, and he chose you instead. All of a sudden, we see Jesus carry the cross. He gets up there on the hill and calls God God. And he allows the people he is dying for to put spikes in his hands, spikes in his feet, put a, put a crown of thorns on his head for him to be raised up and set into the thing. The Bible says that in that moment, his, 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 his shoulders were dislocated from the, just the gravity taking over. But all of a sudden, they put a sign over him that says, King of the Jews, and what that was really doing was mocking him. And later on, they come and they serve him sour wine, which tastes like vinegar. What they're doing is still mocking him again because he said he was thirsty. What he really was doing, he wasn't thirsty. He was actually fulfilling prophecy that we find in Psalm 22. You want something interesting? Go read Psalm 22 and see how eerily similar it is to the crucifixion of Christ. It's all prophetic. It's all been pointing to Jesus this entire time. Jesus is the culmination of the entire story, and we miss him every day.
that's you and you're ready to say yes to Jesus again, you're ready to stop shortchanging his plan for your life. When I come to three, I want you to raise your hand for the things that the sign of One, God loves you. If that's you, come on. Two, now is your moment. Three, if that's you, come on, raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right now. Come on, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. There is no shame. There is no condemnation in this place. Come on. Yes, 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 yes. Come on. If that's you, come on. One more time. I'm going to extend it one more time. God sees you. I see you. This is a real moment. Don't let us survive. Don't let it pass away. Come on, come on. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm going to pray for you. We're going to call tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to bring this down to a close. But that does not mean that God is still working in your life just to get back about this moment. He's working. He's just a guy. He's just a guy. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for these people. Lord, I thank you for these, these children, Lord, that have just accepted you as their father. Lord, they're choosing to turn their attention on you once again. Lord, I thank you that you would give them the strength that you gave Jesus to not shortcut the plan that you have for them. To not take what seems to be an easier route when it's actually the route that leads to their demise. When it's actually the route that leads them to depression. When it's actually the route that leads them to dependency on a prescription or on a substance or a person. Lord, I thank you that the, the, the route that you are leading them to is a place where they are solely dependent upon you. And Lord, I thank you that your grace, your love, your mercy, your nearness washes in right now. It brings them ever so close. Lord, I thank you. That when the enemy rushes in like a flood, you raise up a standard against him. That is what your word says. When the enemy comes like a flood, when he seems to wash us away, you raise up a standard against him. And Lord, I thank you that your word is the standard. Your word is the standard. And Lord, I thank you that you speak a better word over them right now. Lord, I thank you for every, listen, I thank you for every single ounce of condemnation that is in this room to go back to the pit of hell where it came from. Every ounce of condemnation. There's somebody in here, you feel condemned right now. Maybe you did something last night, maybe you did something right before you came, maybe you did something this year, maybe quarantine has, has caused you to pick up a, a habit or something to resurface, and you are walking in condemnation right now. The Lord frees you from that fear. Frees you. Romans 8 1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You don't need to experience another ounce of condemnation. You're free. You're free. And God sees you, He loves you, He welcomes you. Beloved identity over you. You are beloved. You are beloved. You're accepted. Just as you are. And God is such a God, He will not leave you that way. He's going to mold you. He's going to lead you. He's going to shape you. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in these hearts, what you're doing in these lives, what you're doing in these families. Lord, I thank you that even as they leave this place, He goes with them. Call them girded up in your truth. You raise up a sand. And I thank you for the lives of all the blessed right now. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's start.